I think it's damaging in other ways, which is this, we're, we are giving women the idea that motherhood is something to cope with yeah, and that you need alcohol to cope with being a mom yeah. or any substance to cope mm-hmm. with being a mom. I think if a culture, if we just reframed the conversation, that that would be a, a just a more, health, a more healthier way to to think about and talk about motherhood specifically, but parenthood in general, because I think that, you know, that certainly exists in a little bit of a different way for, you know, for dads. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 152. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol, and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last seven years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we know it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week, we feature a community voice, just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Having a sober tribe has helped me understand that, you know, there are so many people who have kicked the drinking habit out there who are part of the tribe, and they share their stories. And every now and again, they remind us where they came from. And when you join the tribe, you realise that they came, they started right where you are, where you couldn't put the bottle down. And one day they did. And when they're sitting there telling you they've got 200 days, 400 days, however many days, even 40 days is quite a feat. It is so encouraging. And that's what has kept me going. So thank you to the tribe. I am so grateful to have let the drink go. So if you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. We've also got our Sober 66 Challenge starting on the 20th of March. That's 66 days to help you to do a Sober Spring or a Sober Autumn if you're in the Southern Hemisphere like me. Online community and audio support for 66 days. Just go to tribesober.com and you'll see the info on the homepage. My guest this week is Adrian Stillman Krauts, a lady with a very sophisticated palate. Her passion for fine food and wine began when she lived in Paris during her formative years. Adrian went to college in the US, but while her fellow students were downing beers and jello shots, she was heading downtown to drink expensive craft cocktails. These days she lives in the Napa Valley with her husband Jake who is a second-generation winemaker. And as a couple, they've now turned their talents to the alcohol-free space. Let's listen to their story. So I live in Napa Valley in Northern California. 
you know, it's interesting having one foot in each camp, yes. if you will, in the yes. non-alcoholic side and then also living and my husband and I also work in the wine, exactly. alcoholic wine industry. But I'm originally from New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I moved around a bit. So I've lived kind of in a lot of different places in the United States. And I also spent three years in my teens and 20s in Europe, living in Paris and in nice. London. Okay. Because you lived in New York, you got into the craft cocktail scene, didn't you? Tell us about that. And I tell did. us if you ever overdid it. I certainly would. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. I was living in New York. I was in college in the early 2000s. And it was really the very, very beginning of the craft cocktail renaissance. At that point, it was really just a handful of bars that were doing that really elevated cocktail experience. Just by chance, a friend took me to one of them and I just fell in love with the whole ambiance of the bar and the craft of the drink and and it was delicious and it was you know interesting i was really never very into the the typical or maybe stereotypical college drinking scene i wanted to go downtown and drink 15 dollar cocktail which <laughs> is not really you know, kind of normal college student uh, behavior. Well, you were a, a very no. sophisticated student. We can blame my uh, my t- my time in France. I lived in, oh, in Paris course, right before yes. I came back to, to college. Living in Paris was a formative experience in so many ways, and part of it was, was just the age that I was at. But certainly a, a big aspect of it was this appreciation and not only appreciation, but deep interest that I have in food and beverage generally. And for me, the interest comes from, it comes from the, the craft, comes from the, the history, the social history, the, you know, um, alcohol is intertwined in so many ways with our, you know, social and political identities. And Absolutely. it's fascinating to, to study. And I still am passionate and interested in in those things. And I think that it's that aspect of both alcoholic drinks and other kinds of food and other kinds of non-alcoholic drinks that I find most compelling. And so that was something that, that I think really started. The seeds were definitely planted in my time in France. And then coming back to New York and, and being able to experience kind of ground level of this new cocktail movement that was happening that certainly informed then later parts of my career, but you know, absolutely, there was a lot of overconsumption. There wasn't also really a conversation at that point. At least I was not aware of it about really about this kind of more mindful drinking or mm. moderation. You know, I'm not sure if you if you polled college students today if they would say something different. Maybe it's just when you're in college, you know, or you're when you're that age, you don't necessarily have that awareness that you then develop as you get older. But I do think that there's there's been a shift change in the way yeah. that we talk about drinking, you know, really more broadly, not only I think it's not only that I'm, you know, maturing and and my own tastes and preferences are changing. I do think that there's something bigger that's that's going on there that's yes. permeating down, you know, even to those younger generations and I, I see it in with my, I have a brother-in-law who's, you know, about a decade younger than I am. And he and his girlfriend are very interested in non-alcoholic drinks. And when I was their age, I was not really doing that. So it's definitely evolving. Yes, which I, I think, think great. so too. I think um, younger people are dr- are drinking less than, than I was at their age, certainly. Mm-hmm. 
And as you say, the mindful drinking, which is exactly what you're doing when you're appreciating a craft cocktail, I would say. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. yet now, you know, we're we're trying to introduce that as a a behavior for people maybe that have got a bit too enthusiastic about alcohol rather than just drink it quickly for the results concentrate on the taste of it and I would say that your time in France did influence that because they the French do have a different attitude certainly to us Brits anyway you know they they don't go out to get drunk particularly they it's just not a thing that they do although obviously there's alcoholism in France like any other country but they do drink more for the taste and more with food as well it's it's interesting and certainly yeah in the UK at the moment the the figures show that 25% of young people don't drink at all I mean that's Mm -hmm. that's staggering that is such a change and it's all about being sober curious and there's so many Instagrammers that are cool and sober Mm -hmm. these days it's uh, it's amazing Mm -hmm. I've just interviewed a young lady that did have a big problem. She started drinking very enthusiastically at the age of 14. She got sober mm. at 24 and now she, wow. you know, runs a, a sobriety group for young people, which is, is mm. amazing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that I is amazing. absolutely agree things. There's a, a real shift, a cultural shift going on, isn't there? Yep, definitely. So talk to us about when you met your husband that's from a mm-hmm. generation of winemakers, isn't he, in the Napa Valley? yes. Yes. So we met 10, just over 10 years ago. And he is, as you just said, his, uh, so his parents own a, a winery here in Napa Valley. And he, that's, that's his other, other job. In addition to the, our, our business that we own together, which is our, the dry goods beverage company, which is an online store for non-alcoholic wine, spirit and cocktail alternatives, which of course is how we got connected and, and it's kind of why I'm here. So that's why I said, you know, we have a foot in both camps. Uh, as part of representing his family's winery, was participating in an event on the East Coast of the United States, and I was uh, on the event production team. Alcohol and is very much part of our, like, intertwined in our, you know, in our lives and in our personal stories in this really, you know, special way. So that's how we met, and then I ended up moving out to California about a year later, and we love food, we love to cook, and we kind of got into this you know, rhythm of we'd open a bottle of white usually while we were cooking and then we'd end up, we'd open a bottle of red to have with dinner. And by the, you know, kind of before you know it, you, the both piles of wine were gone and it was like, wait, what? It's only Tuesday. Yeah, that was <laughs> well, 14, wasn't, wasn't a sp- 14 bottles a week if you were drinking, if you do it every day. doing that every night. Yeah, it right. soon mounts and, up, and it was, it? And it wasn't, a, you know, it was very like accidental you know we were we were having a good time and drinking yeah. together and it, we weren't drinking to get drunk no you know no. that certainly wasn't I'm what sure we were, you were what we were doing food with it and drinking quite slowly over a number of hours so you wouldn't right. have got drunk but it's still you know I drinking mean, seven bottles of wine for one person a week is not you, good for your health no even if it's, it's very good wine <laughs> You definitely wake up with a hangover too, yeah, you know, yeah. even if you're not, you know, blacking out the, the night of, you're, it's still quite a bit of, of Yeah, you always feel a bit and, under par really, don't you? 
Right. Yes. And, you know, it's, it's easy, I think, especially when you work in the beverage alcohol industry and or when you live in wine country, because there's just wine everywhere and it's part of the lifestyle and part of the culture. And there, there's nothing, I don't think that there's any, there's something wrong with that per se, but I do think that I am much happier being more conscious and purposeful about when I'm choosing to drink rather than doing it just by default because it's, you know, because it's there. Yeah. It can so easily become a habit content and just part of the everyday lifestyle. So did you and your husband make a decision at some point that you weren't going to consume these two bottles in the evening? It really began when we started, we decided we wanted to start a family and that was about five years ago. So as I said, the, this story is very, and very much part of our, our son's story. You know, that was kind of one of the first things I said, okay, well, I'm going to stop drinking during the week. I think my husband kind of did that. He was sort of on board with that too. I don't think he was quite as disciplined about it as, as I was. And I don't say that as a, as a criticism, but I, I decided that I was going to do this. And, you know, he kind of did it some days and maybe not others. And I really found that that I felt a lot better yeah. just from a, you know, basic physical perspective mm-hmm. doing that. And I, you know, one of the things that I noticed as well is that when I would then have, you know, more wine maybe on the weekends or with a special dinner. And then I really noticed that I didn't feel well the next day. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of start to become more aware of the, of the after effects that maybe you weren't noticing because it was normal before. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You realize, you know, that toxicity when you haven't had a drink for a, a bit of time and then you have one, it's, oh, you really feel it, don't you? And the next day as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then I subsequently, you know, we, we had some fertility challenges. And so I ended up giving up alcohol entirely for a time, along with, uh, you know, all the other fun foods, uh, (laughs) wheat, sugar, caffeine, dairy, (laughs) all the things. Um, Was it really hard? What, what was the hardest thing, Adrian, of what you had to give up? What did you miss Uh, the most? You know, let's see. I think... It was less an, an an individual food and more so the constantly being not able to participate yeah. in in the occasion that was happening. So yeah. whether it was I can't have the alcohol, so I have to, I'm having a glass of water instead. And at that point, you know, we had not yet discovered the non-alcoholic drink yeah. the kind of adult beverage alternatives, yeah. and also they many of them were not yet available that mm-hmm. the industry mm-hmm. of of these non-alcoholic wines and spirits is so nascent so even five years ago there was just Absolutely. much much more limited availability and so that was just sort of sad um you know not being able to have the the cheese plate before a festive meal not being able to have dessert not being able to have you know go out to a restaurant and well I can't have the bread or you know constantly having to take for which I did for a while is I took my own food everywhere we would go over to a friend's house for dinner and I would take my own food because I I couldn't kind of trust them to follow all the things Mm. that I was doing and I also felt I didn't want to burden somebody else with this complicated diet you know it was just easier to to do it myself and there's a there's a stress there because there there became a particularly when you're going out or traveling 
will there be something that I can eat wherever we're going? You know, that, that's a, a, just a, a stressor yeah. in general. Yeah. And then also the feeling that I can't enjoy what everyone else is enjoying. I'm separate yeah. from the group. I'm not part of this occasion. I'm not part of the celebration. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure you felt kind of low-level grumpy because <laughs> it's yeah, not even... absolutely. I mean, when you're in your early pregnancy, as you'll know now, uh, you don't participate in everything, but you hadn't even right. got to that stage. You know, you were, you know, still right. hoping for, for the, the big events. Right. But yeah, I remember when I right. was first, you know, in early sobriety, and my problem, you know, was alcohol. So I was extremely grumpy anyway that I couldn't drink anymore. And there were no alcohol-free drinks anywhere. This was seven years ago here in South Africa, nothing. So when I went out, I would have a Coke or a drink of water. And I really, I remember just feeling grumpy. And I'm sure that's mm -hmm. how you felt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I well, it worked good... though. Thank goodness it worked. It worked, yes, you know. Because <laughs> you did that for years. I did. Wow. I did, and, and we ended up, um, you know, then doing IVF um, right. for, to, to have our son, and we're just so thrilled oh, to well, have him. You, you certainly deserve it. I'm very happy for you. So now you're a mom, and you very rarely drink. And you've, uh, I imagine you've noticed the mommy juice uh, culture. Let's talk about that a bit. Let's do, you know, it was so interesting because it's, it's a cultural phenomenon that I was certainly aware of uh, before becoming a mom myself and particularly being in the wine industry and being aware of a number of brands. I'm, you know, most familiar with the ones in the U.S. market, but there's, an, I'm sure it exists in every other country, the same brands that really target that mom, oh, yeah. sort of mommy juice. I mean, I think there's even maybe a brand that's yeah, called, there is. called that. And it's all uh, pink. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really, you know, when you think about it from like a sort of a anthropological perspective, there's something really very disturbing yeah, about, I agree. you I know, agree. That's about targeting, the whole thing. That's targeting because, you know, I mean, most people are sensible people like yourself, but there's also people like me, you know, and who aren't sensible. And they'll, so there'll be parents, you know, that are under the influence and it's, you need to be on your game, you know, when you've got a small child. You do. There's so many dangerous well, situations. Th yes. I mean, that's definitely true. I think it's damaging in other ways, which is this, we're, we are giving women the idea that, motherhood is something to cope with yeah and that you need alcohol to cope with being a mom yeah or any substance to cope mm -hmm. with being a mom mm -hmm. as opposed to having an everyone has a different experience as, as a as a, a mother but you know my experience is just I'm so grateful and I'm so joyful yeah. Yeah. to have my son I don't need anything to cope quote no, unquote no. with being a parent I know that women have you know deal with whether it's postpartum depression and and certainly other really you know major mental health issues that, that are important to talk about and and deal with but I think if a culture if we just reframed the conversation that that would be a, a just a more health a more healthier way to to think about and talk about motherhood specifically but parenthood in general because I think that you know that certainly exists in a little bit of a different way for 
you know, for dads. And I, you know, I, I started when I, after I had my son last summer, going to a mom and baby meetup group every week. And the first time that sort of mommy juice culture came out was an, another mom, you know, saying something like, oh, we can all meet up and, you know, without the babies and drink margaritas. And I was like, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm, I'm totally uninterested. You've been that, in, done uh, that. <laughs> in doing that. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to, it's not even like, oh, I wish I could do that, but I'm, I'm going to choose not to because I'm, because I, I, my priority is my child. Um, it's like, no, I just don't, no part of me is interested in yeah. participating in yeah. that experience. And, you know, I've ended up kind of self-selecting my mom friend yeah. group with women who are like-minded and exactly. That's the you way know, not, necessarily a, not necessarily a, a hundred percent sober group of women, but, but we're not, not interested in kind of over consuming and, and I, none of us have that mentality of, Oh, I need something to, yeah, you don't you know, see wine be able as a to parenting handle. aid, which is how it's no. marketed to, right. to many moms. Right. Yeah, that's a yeah. good way of putting it. Yeah, a parenting aid. Yeah. yeah, and another thing, another reason I think it's a bit unhealthy to to drink too much as a parent. I mean, I did. I'm not judging here, but I think you know now that I have a different perspective. What you're doing is you're kind of role modeling to your child, aren't you? Certainly, as they get older, that they're very demanding and you're exhausted so you need to to have a drink just to to calm down and um, we, we shouldn't be modeling alcohol as a coping mechanism to our no. children because they take it all no. in <laughs> right well, you know i'm i haven't thought about that specifically but i think about that same idea in per, particularly in terms of my cell phone and using my phone yes. around the child. Yes. And so I am very, both, both my husband and I are very, very, we just try not to have the phone around our son. We don't show him the screen. Opening my phone is because I'm doing something specific hmm. as opposed to just being on my phone, you know, yeah. scrolling through Instagram or, or what have you. And because the phone, it, it also sends this message that this, phone this piece of technology is like more important than my mm. child I'm giving mm. my attention to the phone rather than to my baby and anything that kind of creates that sends that message or creates that feeling for the child I think is not good yeah, yeah. no you're right so I guess he's not going to be one of these two-year-olds with his own iPad is he <laughs> no no iPads you're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober so let's talk about the alcohol-free drinks industry. As I said, when mm. I gave up seven years ago, nothing. And then gradually, um, mm -hmm. here in Cape Town, we had a, a guy who was from the drinks industry, and he created an alcohol-free gin and tonic, which you might have heard of. It's called Duchess. I think he does uh, distribute it internationally now. And that was very much the first one. And then gradually, you know, it's, so it's come on enormously and we have a shop here called Drink Nil Coza and they sell, you know, about 100 different types of alcohol-free drinks. So that's that's mm -hmm. wonderful. So I think, you know, for people in my community that are giving up these days, it's a lot easier when we've got something else, you know, we've got an mm -hmm. alternative. Mm -hmm. 
And some some communities, I mean, AA say that if you if you had an alcohol problem, you you shouldn't touch alcohol free drinks. But our stance is you try try it and obviously if it triggers you you mustn't touch it but i've right. um, been very happy to have an alternative it's just so useful mm-hmm. if you're at a party or it's six o'clock and you're thinking oh what can i have now to relax and you've got something else we're not quite there yet with the wine for example i, I haven't discovered a, a nice alcohol-free wine I reckon one will come. And when I was drinking, I would never drink beer. It didn't appeal to me at all. But now I drink alcohol-free beer because I just love the taste. I find it really refreshing. Mm -hmm. And somehow I think it's easier. I mean, your husband would know and yourself, you'll know. It must be easier for some reason to make alcohol-free beer that tastes like beer. Whereas with the wine, it's, it's difficult. And with the spirits, I heard you saying something funny on a podcast you said that gin is 40 percent alcohol and if you take that 40 percent out what's left yeah <laughs> so it's not an yeah. easy um an easy science is it if we can call it a science no so, it's it's very yeah. complex well so why did you guys decide to go into this alcohol-free drinks industry so we were still on our fertility beginning a family journey and a woman who's actually a sobriety coach in the United States got connected to her through some friends and she recommended that we check out these non-alcoholic wine and spirit alternatives that were you know really coming to market and this is now I think it was about two and a half years ago my first reaction was what would be the point of that why would I want a non-alcoholic gin that just sounds, it sounds like a fat-free brownie, just yeah. totally, totally unsatisfying and still bad for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we were, we were skeptical for sure, but we, okay, we said, all right, well, let's give it a, give it a go. So we ordered a few different things online and we were actually just totally blown away by the quality. And we got really excited about the space and we started doing more research and learning about more of these products. And I think what's happened is that there's a lot of people who have a very similar story to to both of us who have come to this conclusion of, well, there isn't anything good, non-alcoholic that I want to drink. I'm going to go make it myself. Yeah. And they've you know, there's there's now this incredible ecosystem really all over the the world, and I think the United States is behind, frankly, the you know U, the UK and Australia. I don't know the South African market as well, but I imagine that there's more going on there too. The United States is just kind of scratching the surface, and so it's a very it's an exciting time. It there's is. lots of new products yeah. coming out and lots of innovation. We were so enthusiastic about these drinks. And at the same time, we felt that as from a consumer perspective, it was difficult to navigate the space and figure out what drinks are going to be quality because there's definitely things out there that are not quality. We've all been there. Then you get, okay, this is maybe good quality, but is it, am I going to like it? Is it going to fit my taste preferences? And and it was just kind of difficult to figure that out and and find. It took a lot of digging on the part of the consumer. And so we thought, my husband and I, that we could fill a need there as a retailer of these non-alcoholic wine 
spirit and cocktail alternatives as sort of the curate. We're going to curate a collection. We're yeah. going to taste everything. We're going to pick what we think are really the best products available and, you know, and put those in an online store. We're going to create education around it and help people find the right thing for them and just make the make it easier to explore and discover these these drinks for you know for anyone who's looking for them and so that was the idea behind the dry goods beverage company and yeah that was it was fall of 2020 that we started working on the idea and then we launched our online store in spring summer of 2021 and it was interesting because alcohol consumption went up during all the the lockdowns uh, but non-alcoholic drink sales also went up during the same time. So you had this really interesting parallel increase. We increased some of our alcohol consumption at the beginning and then went down. And then I think other people did it the other way where they just said, okay, I'm going to do all things wellness. You know, it's kind of very big focus on health. Maybe one thing that is a, a positive lasting impact is, I think, from this years long experience that we've all been been going through globally at, at this point, but is is really more of a focus on on wellness. So that was the genesis of our business and really getting into the this non-alcoholic space professionally. And has it been going quite well or have you struggled to get it, it started? Yeah, it has. Well, you know, both. It's a small hmm. business and yeah. we're two people with a nine-month-old and <laughs> my husband also runs another business. Yes. So, you know, yes, it's very challenging. And at the same time, it's it's going very well and it's very rewarding. And mm-hmm. it, especially when we get feedback from, from people that they are excited to, that they enjoy the products that we're selling, that they're excited to have a non-alcoholic option, either to enjoy at a party or to serve to their family members we get so many wonderful emails from from our customers about why it is that they are ordering the, the drinks from us, how they're enjoying them, and how it how it impacts their you know really their lives. That's the the ultimate you know reward. Yeah, and, yeah. Well, it's wonderful that you have a, a dialogue it. like that because it'll help you, won't it, with uh, develop the business mm-hmm. further once you realize what people like best. So, what Absolutely. are your best sellers? What do your customers? enjoy the most do you think what do you well, sell out of it's funny that you mentioned that you haven't found a non-alcoholic wine yet that you like because the non-alcoholic wine category is the biggest biggest seller for us in general within that category there's one particular product that is it's our number one bestseller it's also a personal favorite it's called copenhagen sparkling teas, teas. they're from denmark okay they're teas you know, it's a wine alternative, but as opposed to being a de-alcoholized wine, mm. it's made from a blend of black, green, and white and herbal teas. It's created originally by a sommelier. They are absolutely delicious. They don't taste like, quote unquote, like wine. Mm. You're not going to pick this up and think, you know, be confused that it's, uh, that it's champagne. But you would drink it in place of champagne. And I think one of the reasons that it works so well is that there's a lot of parallels between the tea, the kind of very luxury, high-end collectible tea industry and, and the wine world. And I, in, particularly in the United States, people aren't really focused on tea that way. But in Asia, you have vintage, special vintage teas. And I, I'm not even all that knowledgeable about it. I have just sort of a glancing you know, awareness of it. They have tea but, ceremonies, don't they? 
Right. Uh, yes. And there's a lot of depth and nuance of flavor mm. in tea that is similar to a wine. The depth and the nuance is often what gets lost in the dealcoholization yeah. process. And so if you enjoy a glass of really great wine, I think that's a reason why many non-alcoholic wines just aren't satisfying. What's enjoyable about a glass of really good alcoholic wine is, in part, that the depth and the nuance of flavor that's, that's happening. By using tea instead of removing the alcohol from an alcoholic wine, as opposed to taking away, yes. you're building up. Absolutely, absolutely. And even though it doesn't taste the, the same, there's definitely a parallel there between the, the flavors. The product is delicious. If your listeners are in the United States, Obviously, they can order it from us. I'm sure that they also export and are available in other countries. Yeah, that's that's fascinating, Adrian, because I think particularly people that have been dependent on alcohol, we shouldn't really be looking for fake wine. We should be open right. to other tastes right. and being mindful as we taste these things. Because rather than have these two categories of soft drinks and alcohol, we need a third way, don't we? We need a third mm-hmm. category. And that's where something like that would certainly yes. come in. Oh, that's really well, interesting. I'm going to look for that. It's interesting, too, because when I think about the non-alcoholic drinks space, there's sort of these two groups that I see. And one is the you know, the de-alcoholized wine fits into this category, the, as well as the kind of non-alcoholic gin or not other non-alcoholic spirits that are meant to mimic an alcoholic product. By definition, those things are always going to be kind of less than the original. Yeah, because and you're taking you, something out, as you said. Yeah. Right. Whereas there's this other camp and group of, of products that is creating something that's just its own yeah. thing. Yeah. It, it's a delicious drink that doesn't have alcohol in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I like, there are examples of products in both categories that I personally really enjoy and, and recommend on, you know, different occasions. But I do think that the, the category that is more, let's just create a great drink that doesn't have alcohol kind of opens you up to new areas for creativity and innovation because you're not hemmed in by trying to replicate yeah, a taste absolutely. of something else. You absolutely. can just go off, you know, on, on your own path. And I, there are more and more people who are, you know, who are doing that. Yeah. It's a little bit harder from a consumer perspective. A non-alcoholic Chardonnay, I have an idea of what that might taste like, where I'm going to drink it, and if I'm going to like it or not. This non-alcoholic other thing that is wine comes in a wine bottle, but it's not wine. Mm. Am I going to like that? What's it going to... I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to like it. I don't know if I'm, how it's going to taste. So it, it takes a little bit more of a leap of faith, you know, a little bit more, frankly, trial and error on the consumer part because there may be things that you end up not liking. Sure, you know? sure. But we have to just kind of have to try just, it. Just like we used right. to when we were drinking, you know, we didn't love right. every wine that we, we tasted, did we? And there's a whole group of these, either that sometimes they call them adaptogenic. Some people are using CBD or hemp. Yes. People are using other kinds of botanicals that have some kind of, you know, psychoactive effect. And it's not like getting drunk. It is kind of going to be a different experience. 
It'll be really interesting to see how that evolves. We, yes, it will. I, I just I tasted one uh, an example just yesterday that I thought was really quite good. I was drinking it just to taste it yesterday, but I want to do another kind of experiment with it to drink it to see do what do I feel? Do yeah, I feel different? Yeah. Because I think that's the big question. A lot of people that there seem to be a lot of of products that are putting all kinds of stuff in the in the bottle and then saying oh, this will make you relaxed or this will make you, give you energy or this, whatever the thing, the thing is. And I'm like, mm, really? Is mm, it, is it mm. really going to do that? You know, you can, you can make all kinds of, of, of claims, course, but is it course. actually going to deliver? And I think that will be kind of yeah. the test for that. Yeah. And if it doesn't deliver, they won't succeed. So have you got a favorite mocktail? Are you going to share a recipe with us? I would be happy to. And I, I, I realized we hadn't, haven't talked about before, but another part of my journey into this space was on the alcoholic side was I've written two books about bars and cocktails. And so, you know, I translated all my experience as a bar fly into <laughs> compiling these two books. And my second book, which is called Spirited, came out in 2020. And it's a collection of over 600 alcoholic cocktail recipes. Wow. And it's that experience of doing all that research and all that recipe testing is a big part of what I bring to our business of selling non-alcoholic drinks. And, uh, you know, one thing that I think is important for people to know, particularly about non-alcoholic spirits, is that they are made to be mixed in a cocktail. Yeah. I do not recommend, by and large, either sipping them out of the bottle, which I don't really recommend doing that with alcoholic spirits either, frankly. I'm not sure why someone would think that was a good idea. But neither, you know, pouring it neat into a glass. That's just not the way that they're they're made to be experienced. They're really made to be mixed into a cocktail. And so the the recipes are really critical for people to be able to, if I buy this bottle of non-alcoholic tequila, well, what am I going to do with it? Now I have to go, I have to go make a recipe. Because it's not really for shots, is it? Either. No, it's no. Tequila shots. No, no, there's no impact of alcohol. (laughs) And also it like wouldn't taste good. I mean, you don't get, there's like nothing, nothing good about, about doing that. So I've taken that experience of recipe testing all of these, um, all these recipes for my book into bringing that to the non-alcoholic space. That being said, and this is true, I think, of, of many people who are either bartenders or chefs, you know, when you're at work, you create these really complex things. And then when you're making it for yourself, you just, you know, cook something super simple. You know, you make like scrambled eggs. Um, I think definitely a parallel there. My two, I'd say my two favorites, I really like bitter flavors, uh, like a Negroni style cocktail. Mm. And that's been one of the most challenging flavor profiles to find in the non-alcoholic drinks world that thankfully there are people now getting there. And one of the ones in the United States is called For Bitter For Worse, a play on the marriage vows. And it's a hus- another husband and wife couple. It's really kind of like an Amaro style, but it's not meant to mimic any specific product. And it's called Saskatoon. And I just pour that over ice and maybe a, a slice of orange if I have oranges. And that's my kind of go-to 
little sort of aperitif mm, in the evening when I'm cooking lovely. or yeah. it's absolutely delicious. You can also add some non-alcoholic gin to make kind of more of a Negroni, more traditional Negroni style drink. You can also top it with some sparkling water or sparkling wine, alcoholic or not. And then the other the other one that I, other recipe that I love, that's a go-to for all the time is, a, it's a, called a classic champagne cocktail. You take a sugar cube and you douse it with Angostura. I, I use now non-alcoholic aromatic bitters, so uh, similar to Angostura. And then you pour sparkling, non-alcoholic sparkling wine over the sugar cube in the bottom of a flute glass and garnish with a lemon twist. It's delicious. You can also skip the sugar cube if you don't want no, it. No, no, use I like it. That. it. It creates a really beautiful visual because mm. the sugar cube, the sugar like dissolves into the drink mm. and creates this beautiful bubble visual. That is that is a favorite. It's so elegant. It's so mm. easy. You can do it easily for people who are drinking alcohol and not drinking alcohol. Yes, so you yes. can have you know both an alcoholic wine and a non-alcoholic wine, and it doesn't look any different. No, um, no. you don't feel left out. You, Right. Exactly. I just wanted to build on that point about people who are struggling with with a dependence on alcohol because it is such an important part of the conversation to say that like not every suggestion is going to work for every person. And you mentioned before about AA saying you shouldn't be, you know, if you're an AA, you should not be drinking any of these non-alcoholic drinks at all. And I think that's where in particular the drinks that are that fall into that category of their they're not imitations. They're just non-alcoholic yes. Yes. drinks. In they just don't. They just they don't have alcohol in them. I think those are a great choice for people who are you know really struggling with sobriety yeah. or who are in recovery because they're not mimicking alcohol. No. It's just a tasty beverage. And you don't want them in a, a wine bottle either. Really, it's nice that you see people things in different shaped bottles. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at Janet at TribeSober.com. That's Janet, J-A-N-E-T, at TribeSober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. So you've been very kind and offered a 10% discount for our listeners. And we've got plenty of listeners in the US who I'm sure are going to rush to your website when they hear this. Your website is beautiful, by the way. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. I love the way that you're educating people on it. There's so much information there. And you've got articles as well to help people to give up drinking if they want to. I might write you one. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. We would love that. Okay, so Tribe Sober people have to use as a coupon code to get a 10% discount, okay? Exactly, so the the website is drygoodsdrinks.com and then when you check out just in the, there's a little spot to put a discount code, you'd enter Tribe Sober, it'll give you 10% off your first purchase. Fabulous. Well, that's very kind of you. uh, You're on social media as well, just tell us which social media to follow. We are on Instagram primarily. We're at Dry Goods Drinks. And we're always happy to provide recommendations if people have any questions about products. You can drop us a DM on Instagram, send us an email through our website. You know, I I look at all those emails, so I will respond to you and, you know, and let you know kind of what I recommend based on what you're looking for, what your tastes are, what your situation is. Thank you, Adrian. That was so interesting. 
I think Adrian's quite unique in that she has a foot in both camps, as she puts it. And I love the way that together with her husband, they're busy sourcing and curating the very best alcohol-free products with the same care as would go into fine wines. As they say on their website, they believe that everyone deserves a good drink, whether it's got alcohol in it or not. Adrian admits that she did sometimes go overboard on the craft cocktails, and as a newly married couple, two bottles of wine was the norm most evenings. As they started to think about having a family, Adrian stopped drinking during the week. However, that meant that weekend drinking affected her even more. As they were coping with fertility problems, Adrian decided to give up drinking completely. She also had to give up eating various foods, which led to bouts of FOMO when she was socialising. So she got a taste of what us ex-drinkers go through in early sobriety. Happily, Adrian did become a mom and now has a nine-month-old baby. That's when she came across the mommy juice culture. Hanging out with some other moms one day, she was surprised to hear the plans to drop off the babies and head off to drink some cocktails. She noticed that some wine brands were actively targeting moms. This reinforces the false belief that wine is some kind of parenting aid. Mommy Juice gives our children the message that it's so difficult looking after them that we need wine, not to mention the more general message that we use wine as a coping mechanism. Adrian's interest in alcohol-free drinks began when she met a sober coach who recommended that she try some of them. She was really sceptical at first, her expectations were low, and frankly she couldn't really see the point. However, when she started tasting the various choices, she was actually blown away by the quality. Together with her husband, they started some serious research, and they were both inspired. She feels that the US is just scratching the surface, but she knows there's lots of innovation going on. Adrian concluded that there were some great choices available, but that the alcohol-free space was actually rather difficult for the consumer to navigate. So together with her husband, they decided to become curators. They would be retailers of alcohol-free drinks, but only of high-quality drinks that they'd sampled and enjoyed. They would be two experts providing advice and education around their products. So they launched their dry goods beverage company in the summer of 2021. They're bestsellers of the alcohol-free wines, and she particularly recommended Copenhagen sparkling teas. Adrian explained that these teas provide the depth and nuance that is often lacking in the alcohol-free wines. She also reminded us that alcohol-free spirits should always be mixed rather than drunk meats. That's why the cocktail recipes are so important. Adrian has kindly offered our listeners a 10% discount on their products. So just use the coupon code TRIBESOBER when you head over to their website, which is drygoodsdrinks.com. You can also follow them on at drygoodsdrink on Instagram. I'll put all that in the show notes. So let me end with a member message from one of our chat rooms. Here's one from Kathy in Canada. Close one tonight. Another grey day, snowstorm coming. I'm missing the sun. These short days are depressing. Feeling down this evening. And then I thought, 
fuck it, I'm going to get some wine. Drove into our little village, had a few other things to pick up and thought I would stop into the liquor store as my last stop. The wine witch was being so seductive. I was thinking how nice it would be to sit in front of the fire with a Chardonnay while the storm comes in. But then I played the movie forward to the next day. Invariably I would wake up anxious, feeling like crap, and then would have to deal with all the snow removal and the physical work that would be involved, and how awful all that would be if I was hungover. My mind started to say, a hot cup of tea in front of the fire would be just as good. The exercise of running the other errands gave me enough time to change my mindset. I then just drove home. Now I'm sitting in front of the fire with a nice hot cup of tea, feeling so good about not caving in. Well done, Kathy. Playing the movie forward is such a valuable technique. I'm sure you felt so good the next morning. So don't forget our Sober 66 Challenge starting on the 20th of March. Support for 66 alcohol-free days to help you do a sober spring or a sober autumn. Online community and audio support for the 66 days. Just go to tribesober.com and you'll see all the info on the homepage. And the lovely Adrienne from Dry Goods is also doing a voucher for people on the Sober 66 Challenge. Just use the code SOBER66 to stock up on your alcohol-free drinks when you go to the drygoodsdrinks.com website. I do hope some of our US listeners will try Adrian's sparkling teas. And finally, just a quick reminder that we've got another one of our five-day free boot camps coming up on the 20th of March. All info on homepage of tribesober.com. That's it from me. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.